Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're going to be looking at continuing through uh, the book of 1 Peter, and we're looking at verses 12 through 19 of chapter 4. Picking up where we left off in verse 11, we saw that Peter uh, was speaking to the scattered churches about what they should do while they wait for the return of the Lord, the end of all things at hand. Therefore, do these things, be these things. And we saw that. And now he comes and he begins to speak about persecution. And um, I, he, he just kind of goes about what does persecution look like? What should our response be? But when I was preparing this message, I thought about whenever you go through something that you've never went through or you encounter something that you've never encountered, one of the first things I do is I try to find an expert. You know, I'm, I try to find somebody that uh, that uh, has been there, done that, so to speak. Well, Peter is certainly an expert in persecution because in the book of Acts, he was jailed, he was beaten. Um, these sort of things happened to Peter on more than one occasion. And then finally, he was persecuted to the ultimate extent of being martyred for his faith. So I think it'd be safe to say Peter's an expert on persecution. So as we look through 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, we've titled it simply this, Persecution According to Peter, an Expert's Opinion. So let's begin in verse number 12, 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as, some, as though some strange thing is happening to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of, glo of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And so persecution, according to Peter, an expert's opinion, and like I said when I was referencing all the ways he had suffered persecution, Peter most certainly was an expert on the matter. So the first thing we should note from verse 12 is that believers should expect persecution. Believers should expect persecution. Christians have always been persecuted from the beginning. The disciples were harassed by the Jewish religious authorities on one hand and the Roman civil authorities on the other hand. Jesus himself was crucified. If that isn't persecution, I don't know what is. Uh, this persecution has continued on and off throughout the history of the church. We know that the pilgrims who came to this country uh, came to escape 
persecution. We know that the early church was fed to lions, hanged, lit on fire, and all sorts of terrible things. In fact, persecution still goes on in the world today. It gets worse in some parts than others. Sometimes it gets better, and then sometimes it gets worse again. In a way, it moves in cycles. For example, the early church was persecuted heavily from the time of Jesus up until 313 A.D. when Constantine signed the Edict of Milan, making Christianity legal. Prior to that, okay, Christianity was religionis illicitae. Okay, it was illegal. The, the, the Roman government essentially outlawed it. However, it wasn't too long after that that biblical Christians were persecuted and killed uh, by nominal Christians, namely those who were part of the state-approved church at Rome in the time of the Inquisition. Now, what's more than that? We study history. You learn about the Ottoman Empire and the Turks and the and the Muslim extremists. Who that's nothing new. That's been going on for years. Uh, Muhammad himself uh, was a murderer uh, and and killed many of his own people. But uh, the Ottoman Empire, when they when they sacked Constantinople and, and and killed and attacked and brutally murdered all those Byzantine type Christians, uh, Byzantine Christians. This has been going on for a long time. And so it's not new. So Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange. Don't, don't be surprised. You should expect persecution. So far Peter has discussed suffering in general. Then he moved to suffering persecution for our faith. Now he informs his audience that this should not be a surprise. Now that begs the question, well, why should we expect it? Why should it not surprise us? Well, to answer this question, let's consider the words of Jesus. Now, Peter is writing this letter, and we know that he was not only one of the original 12, but he was part of that inner circle, that first small group, if you will, Peter, James, and John. We can only imagine that as he wrote this passage, his mind went back to the words of Jesus on the matter. In John 15, Jesus told the disciples, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. John 15, 18 through 20, part A. So we shouldn't be surprised by persecution because Jesus already told us it was going to happen. So if you're surprised, you either didn't know Jesus said that, so you're not reading your Bible, or you thought Jesus was just kidding, and you clearly don't know the character of Jesus, or you, I don't know, man. But uh, yeah, believers should expect persecution. Jesus said it. And what Jesus says is the truth because he is the truth. And so we should expect it because if we follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, if we follow the, the culture of Christ instead of the culture of this world, then we should expect persecution. Now, let's go a little bit further. Why should we expect persecution? Because Jesus said so. Okay, well then, why did the world hate Jesus? And therefore, ergo, hate us. So we go a step further. 
Well, the same reason they hated Jesus and hate us, because he opposed their sin. That's the key. Same reason the world hates Christians today, because we oppose their sin. They want us to shut up, and many of them want us to die. But because we testify against the works of evil, they hate us. You say, well, Pastor, that sounds extreme. You've clearly never read the book of John. You know your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Well, let's look what John records in John 7, 7, where Jesus was talking to his own family that persecuted him. And he said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. It hates me, Jesus said. Why? Because I testify of it that its works are evil. So when we stand against, uh, say, LGBT, say, abortion, say, um, euthanasia, whatever, and the world hates us and calls us bigots and calls us backwards and all that, and at some points tries to lock us up, tries to take away our free speech, it's because they are convicted by our stand. The same reason the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead is because they were convicted by what he stood for and what he said. Well, I thought Jesus is love and just love everybody and do what you want to. You're not the Jesus of the Bible. He, he does love sinners. But let me tell you something right now. Uh, he hates uh, their sin, and in a sense, themselves. He hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. So, um, man, God hates evil. And that that's, that's the most tame way I can describe it. And when you live for God, and you live in a way that contradicts the evil of this world, fully expect to be hated. And to be persecuted. Let me give you a modern day example. The Bible teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman. Jesus himself said, For this cause shall a man leave his family and he and his wife be joined together. So you remember, wasn't too long ago, the lady uh, when gay marriage was found in the Constitution, which is funny. I've read the Constitution. I haven't even seen the word marriage, so I'm still trying to figure that one out. But uh, the lady refused to sign the marriage license, and she faced a penalty. I believe she lost her job. She counted the cost. She took a stand. Well, you say, Pastor, you're, this is just some right-wing extremism. Nobody hates Christians. Oh, Really? Since the overturn of Roe versus Wade, there have been over a hundred documented cases of vandalism against Christian pregnancy centers and churches. Most often, this phrase, God is dead, has been spray painted on them by Antifa and BLM rioters. Antifa, you know the organization that President Biden says doesn't exist? They've taken credit for many of these cases. In fact, they have firebombed. Christian pregnancy centers. You know why they hate us? Because we're against abortion. Because we look at we look at abortion the way the Bible looks at it, sin. In other words, you could say it this way. You know why they hate us? 
because we look at their sin the way Jesus looks at it, as sin. So believers should expect persecution. Secondly, believers should celebrate persecution because of the reward. Now that sounds nuts. I realize that, but look at verse 13 through 16. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, if you are persecuted because you're a Christian, then blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. In other words, um, it's not persecution if you suffer because you actually did something wrong. And then he goes on, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify. Let's celebrate God in this matter. Now this seems a shocking statement for what possibly could be the reward of persecution. Well, the reward is twofold. Okay, First of all, persecution rewards believers in that it reveals the genuineness of their faith. Let me say it again. Persecution rewards believers and that it reveals the genuineness of their faith. Peter uses the term fire. Now, we know a fire in those days was often used to refine precious metals. And, and I know that extreme heat used to do the same thing today, but back then it was much more primitive. But nonetheless, they would put things in really, really hot fire and they would burn out the impurities. And their faith, as it were, would be more precious than gold, to quote from another book of the Bible. So persecution is that fire that that purifies our faith. It is a test of our faith. Look, he said, which is to try you. You know what that word try means? To test you. To see, is, if, is your faith genuine or is it baloney? William Barclay wrote something interesting on this, and I have to give you this quote. He said, it was Peter's view that persecution is a test, and it is a test in a double sense. Watch this. This is deep, but it's good. Any man's devotion to any principle can be measured by his willingness to suffer and to sacrifice for it. Therefore... Any kind of persecution is a test of a man's faith. Let me stop right here and explain what Barclay means. The fact that you're willing to suffer for Jesus means that you actually do believe in Jesus in the first place, that your faith is real. A faith that's not willing to be put to the test is not a real faith. That's part of that group that's going to look at Jesus and say, well, didn't we do this? And he's going to say, and, and I'm going to quote from the Campobella translation, he's going to say, get out of here. I ain't got a clue who you are. So Barclay, that's what he's saying. So that persecution test, and it reveals the genuineness of a man's faith. But it's a twofold test because watch this. But it is equally true, I'm picking up in this quote, that it is only the real Christian who will actually be persecuted because the Christian who compromises with the world, who plays down the difference between the Christian way and the world's way, boy, that sounds familiar, who accommodates himself to the world, boy, that sounds familiar, will certainly not be persecuted. In a double sense, persecution is the test of the reality of a man's faith. And that's from Barclay's Daily Bible Study Series, page 307 in the First Peter uh, and James book. So, again, 
persecution, there's a reward in it because it proves the genuineness of your faith, and it does that in two ways. Number one, if you're willing to be persecuted, that must mean you have genuine faith. Number two, only Christians who actually live the Christian way will be opposed by the world. The churches that we see out here putting rainbow flags in their front yard, they're not going to be persecuted. They're going to be accepted because they've become a friend to the world. The the churches out here that are uh, teaching people that killing your baby is health care, they don't have anything to fear from the world. They've got something to fear from God. Because the Bible's very clear about what Jesus thinks. If you, as a matter of fact, go back and read the seven churches in Revelation, in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation. That's right, it doesn't have S on the end of it. Go back and look. John gave one, Revelation, not Revelations. And Jesus is pretty clear what he thinks of churches that give in to the world. Well, we're just being tolerant. Well, your tolerance is going to carry you to hell. So, so rejoice when you're persecuted because, number one, that means your faith's real because you're willing to be persecuted. Number two, it means that you're, going, you're doing things the Jesus way because the world hates the Jesus way. And so if the devil's against you, that must mean that you're against him. But if you're not suffering any type of persecution, uh, the devil don't go against those who are already on his side. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So... Well, I can't. I've got to say more. Charles Spurgeon summed it best. A church that is at friends with the world, a church that is a friend of the world, is certainly an enemy to God. Now, you say, well, we get it it, two ways, that it's a reward to the genuineness of our faith, but you said that we should rejoice in its reward, uh, that the reward itself is twofold. Well, I'm getting to the second fold. Peter continues, rejoice to the extent that you may partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with it seeing joy. So the second fold of reward by persecution is in its ultimate result. It ultimately results in our glorification in heaven. The, the, every person that is persecuted for the faith, thereby genuinely revealing they are of the faith, that they're just not a professor of the faith, but they're a possessor of the faith. They're going to be rewarded in heaven, lauded and applauded in heaven. They're going to receive honor from God in heaven, rewards and crowns that do not fade in heaven. They're going to hear something to the effect of, you've been faithful over a few things, now be ruler over many in heaven. So the rewards ultimately in its result he said so if anyone suffers as a Christian let him not be ashamed but glorified God why would you be ashamed see that's the problem so, there are so many people that claim to be a Christian today but they're ashamed of what the Bible says they're ashamed of what Christ said because it's so offensive to the world and so they want to give in they want to become tolerant well I've got news for you you, you can go that route, but I want, to, I want to give you a warning straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ. If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. So you, you can go that route. You, I, I mean, it's a free country so far. 
if you want to be of that route that just does things the world way, the world's way, and gives into the world, and all, that's fine. But I'm just telling you, when the piper comes to be paid, you're going to be left holding the bag. And so we see that uh, that that is that, as we say. Now, finally, not only should believers. Um, expect persecution not only should they celebrate persecution because of its reward but finally they should trust god in persecution because one of the other temptations for somebody being persecuted is to say well boy god don't care about us he ain't gonna take care of us. he's forgotten all about us but ladies and gentlemen understand that persecution ultimately is allowed by god and it's part of his will Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls. Now, he says, for the time has come, I'm backing up to verse 17, for judgment to begin at the house of God, if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So ultimately, persecution is God's will. We can trust him, and he's using it to judge the church. This word judgment here in context doesn't mean he's coming in to condemn the house of God, but to evaluate the house of God in order to separate true believers from false believers. Did you know there's such thing as false Christians? In fact, Jesus warned about them. They're going to come to him and say, well, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? I can hear them now. Didn't I go to church? Well, I believed in God. I wasn't an atheist. You know, I tried to be a good boy. I tried to be a good girl. And Jesus is going to say, I, I don't have a clue who you are. But you know one of the quickest ways to run out false Christians? Persecution. Because those who don't endure and leave out from us, as 1 John says, were never of us. It's not that they got saved and lost it. They were never saved to start with. When the heat gets turned up and they jump out of the pot, if you will, they were never in the pot. Might as well. You say, that's, that's really uh, tough for you to say. I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches. Our evaluation is their condemnation. Judgment to begin at the house of God has got to begin with us to evaluate the sheep from the goats. Uh, and you say, well, I, I just don't believe it. Well, let me back up and quote Jesus again. You, you know Jesus, right? The Son of God? <laughs> Jesus said that talks about the wheat now, that's, that's true believers, right? The good stuff, the wheat, will come up with the tares. That's the weeds. But he said, don't, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, don't separate the wheat and the tares. That'll be done at judgment day. Ah. So God is going to allow some persecution, some judgment, some evaluation on the church in order to separate the real from the fake, the 24 carat, from the lab created, the 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 uh, the real McCoy from the fake, the genuine from the disingenuine, or the uningenuine, or the non-genuine. I'm not sure the term there, but you get the point. And he says, 
and I'm paraphrasing because I'm not going to go back and read all that again, but he says if it's going to if God is going to allow some fire and some ugly things to refine us, to reveal us, how much worse is the fate of the unbeliever going to be? If God will allow his church to suffer, but for a moment, temporary, boy, he must really going to be dumping it out on the unbelievers. That's what Peter's saying. He said, man, if the righteous is scarcely saved, whoo, what's going to happen to the ungodly and the sinner? Well, we know Revelation 20, 15, for who's, for the Bible tells us that whosoever's name is not found written in the book of life will be cast in the fire. We may be refined by fire, and that's not a cupcake, but unbelievers are going to be condemned by fire. We're going to be evaluated by fire in the sense of persecution in this life, but they're going to be condemned by fire in the sense of eternal damnation in the pits of hell. But nevertheless... The sheep will be separated from the goats. Make no mistake about it. I, You can fool me. I can't walk into my church or any other church and tell you who's saved and who ain't saved. I'm not going to do that. I, I've got my opinions. I can go by what I see. And we do know the Bible tells us to examine fruit. And, and so, you know, but, but as far as knowing for a certain fact, only God can do that. Let me tell you something. He does know. And he's going to do something about it one day. So, in conclusion, we see that, according to Peter, an expert, persecution is ultimately part of God's plan to separate, to refine, to purify his church by separating those who possess faith from those who only profess faith. And the best way to do that is persecution. So how do you respond to persecution? Do you compromise like Pilate did and give in to the crowd and choose the crowd over Christ? Or do you endure as Peter did, as so many others did? Does Jesus mean enough to you that you're willing to suffer? If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? This has been the expert opinion from Peter, the apostle of persecution. I don't think we could alliterate it anymore if we wanted to. Well, keep studying the book of 1 Peter, and that brings us to the end of chapter 4. And finally, uh, we will come to chapter 5. But I want to uh, just reiterate that, that last section. We respond to persecution by trusting God, by knowing that committing their souls to Him, that means to, to trust Him. That ultimately it's part of his plan. Excuse me, I had to yawn there a minute. Well, God bless you. Keep studying, and I hope you'll listen to the next podcast.